everyone. This is Charlie Levine, and you are listening to the Angler's Journal Podcast, brought to you by Angler's Journal Magazine. If you're looking for a different fishing magazine that isn't just full of the same old, same old stuff that actually writes some in-depth stories about the people and places and boats and all the cool stuff that makes fishing great, check out anglersjournal.com and pick up a subscription. The Angler's Journal Podcast is brought to you by Atlantis Marine Finance. You know, Myself, I just unloaded my boat, and I'm without a boat for the first time in like 15 years. And I'm already looking around. I got ideas. I think a few different things I want to purchase or, you know, future shopping as it is. But when it comes time to do it, I'm going to need to finance that boat. And Atlantis Marine Finance is a great option. They've got a lot of experience. They've got a team of industry pros, actual boat owners. They have the knowledge and resources to help you get on the water So if you're looking to purchase a new boat or a used boat or even a project boat, Atlantis Marine Finance will give you all the educational resources you need to make a good decision and help you down that path to your next boat purchase. For more information, visit AtlantisMarineFinance.com and good luck. Get out there and get that boat. Hey everyone, this is Charlie Levine with the Angler's Journal podcast and we've gotten a very special guest with us today to help us understand what's going on with striped bass management. Captain John McMurray, how's it going? Doing good, man. How about you? It's all right. It's all right. Um, I appreciate you taking out the time. I know you're getting ready for the season up there and everyone's talking about striped bass. There was a change in the slot limit and I know you've got your uh, thumb on the pulse of that world and was hoping you could kind of help it all make sense for us. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, first I'm like several weeks into the season already and it's, uh, it's been real good. Um, you know, as far as availability, size, numbers, uh, and, and I think that's kind of relevant to where we're going with all this. Um, I I guess I should just, uh, give you a little bit of background um, about, you know, how, (laughs) why I, I know a little bit about this and I've owned uh, one more catch charters. Uh, this is my 23rd year in business and, you know, a, a big part of that business. And I would definitely say most of it, certainly how I started was, was on striped bass. Um, so in addition to that, I served for nine years on the mid Atlantic fishery management council, uh, which, you know, doesn't manage striped bass, but it manages bluefish, summer flounder and scup. And, uh, you know, certainly, gave me some, some context about, you know, the difference between federally managed fish and uh, state managed fish like striped bass. And, and when I got, when I was done serving three terms on the council, I served as the legislative proxy uh, for the uh, commission. And on New York, I represented uh, the, the legislative commissioner, um, which was Todd Kaminsky back then. And then and Phil Boyle before that, uh, and, and the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission does manage striped bass. So I'd a- I actually was behind the table and, and one of the decision makers or, or one of the folks that voted on the decisions that we made that led us up here. So uh, in that context, I suppose, you know, not only do I think I know what I'm talking about, but I'm partially responsible for, for where we ended up. Um, and I, and I guess we're here really just to talk about the emergency action they took last week, which reduced the slot limit from uh, 28 to 35 inches to 28 to 31 inches, which is a pretty constraining slot limit, I think. It's, it's yeah. going to be real t- for folks to find a fish within a three-inch limit. Um, 
Sure, that's but, a tight, sweet spot. Yeah, yeah, and and I don't know how you want to go about this, how much detail you want, uh, but but you know we could start from way back if you want. We well, could just talk about. Yes, yeah. that's a great question because there is a lot to unpack here, and it's such a, a hard species to manage because it crosses all these state boundaries, like you're talking about, and then yeah. there's the ASMFC, and um, because you know, and then there's some states like New Jersey that always have kind of done their own thing, and um, yeah, yeah, I guess if you could sort of just talk about the last couple of years, you know, a lot of people were talking about Amendment Seven which I believe mm-hmm. set a target, right, to rebuild yep. stocks to a certain degree. And then some of these yep. measures now are to fulfill that. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And I, I think you touched on an important part of this, and that's that, you know, this is – the commission, the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission is not like one of the councils where it's bound by federal law to do certain things to – maintain a certain level of abundance and to rebuild a stock when it's been overfished. It's just kind of, you know, all the states are supposed to get together and coordinate and, and make sure you have a, a good fishery. So, and, and, and that's the reason uh, why we've, we've had some of the problems that we've had at the commission, because there's no federal mandate to prevent overfishing. There's no federal mandate to rebuild the stock. And, and as a result, you know, the commission has kind of has a history of, of avoiding making difficult decisions that are going to hurt uh, local fishermen, both commercial or charter party and, and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, one of the, the things that a lot of folks uh, talk about a lot is conservation equivalency. And that's where the commission kind of uh, sets regulations to address a certain problem in a fishery. But the states have some leeway to, uh, to not implement the commission recommended uh, size and bag limit, but to implement their own size and bag limits that are conservationally equivalent. And, uh, you know, without getting into too much detail, you know, you have some states like New Jersey who thought is uh, 28 to 38 inches instead of 36. And then uh, they have a tag fish initial there was for a lot of the mortality and arguably you know, they're responsible for some of the, or we're all responsible for the overfishing, but they're uh, responsible to a greater extent. Um, but anyway, kind of, kind of went off on a tangent there just because, you know, you touched on that a little bit, but what, what was your question? <laughs> well, you know, I, I think about something you said right when we first started talking and it's, you said the fishing's been good and it was really good, you know, last fall. And, and from what yeah. I gather, you know, they, they use these different year classes to when when they're managing fisheries and they have a good year class and a bad year class. And basically that just means, you know, there was a lot of hatch and there was a lot of fish in the water that year. And so the fishing we're doing now is a very good year class, but a lot of the fish we're catching and releasing are dying after release. And so I, is that how they're calculating these overages and stuff like that? Yeah, um, and, and that's pretty wonky. The explanation behind behind all that. So I won't. I'll try not to get into the, you know, the the ugly details of all. This. I've been doing this a long time, and it's still hard to understand for me. Um, but I, I think we we need to talk about Amendment Seven and kind of how we got here. I mean, uh, you know, there were a number of indicators. I, first of all, striped bass are anadromous, like salmon. Uh, they spawn in freshwater, 
and then they spend their lives in saltwater. And Chesapeake Bay, if you look at a map, it's pretty easy to tell that the Chesapeake Bay is the largest produce area, the largest spawning area for striped bass because it's just much bigger than Hudson or Delaware or anything, you know, moving up the coast. So they do these um, young of the year surveys and they've been doing them for 50 years and really look at the Chesapeake Bay young of the year industry indices and, and they're very simple. You basically drag a seine net through certain areas um, of the bay, you know, they get out and Waiters on, they drag these seine nets uh, through these areas, and they they look at the young of the year, and they're actually pretty accurate in determining what the fishery is going to look like in seven, eight, nine years when that those young of the year recruit into the coastal stock. Um, so, you know, striped bass were badly depleted in the 70s and early 80s, and then we finally addressed recruitment fishing, or, or in other words you know, avoiding killing fish before they spawned once or twice. Um, and once we did that, we had this incredible explosion of fish and we had very good recruitment, very good young of the year indices coming out of the Chesapeake Bay. And we had a, a stock that quickly rebuilt. I, I think 1995 was a year they use now for their baseline where they determined it was rebuilt, but it basically went from a, a crash stock to a very abundant stock in a relatively short amount of time. Um, so here we are now, you know, and they slowly loosen the regulations once the stock became rebuilt and abundant as they should. And so we've been hitting it just as hard as when the Chesapeake was pumping out all these fish. Um, but now the Chesapeake, you, know, you look at the, the young of the year industry chart and you could see it trending downward. Um, but we're still hitting those fish you know, with the same effort and the recreational fishing effort has actually increased over the years because, you know, the more fish that you have in the water, the more people get into the fishery because it's easier for them to catch. Sure. Uh, and so we got into an overfishing situation, which means we're taking more fish out of the stock than, than they could keep up with as far as reproducing. Um, and let's see, I, the so year that it was... that's where Amendment 7 kind of came along, right? Was to try yeah, to... So, well, in 2008, we had a stock assessment that determined the stock was overfished and overfishing had been occurring for, for many years. And so uh, that had to be addressed. And, and there was a 25% reduction. Uh, okay, well, I'm sorry, we're going back to 2015. Uh, during the old stock assessment, there was 25% reduction. We went from two fish at 28 inches along the coast, one fish at 28 inches along the coast. And then uh, in 2018, when it was determined to be overfished, uh, we went to the slot limit. We needed an 18% reduction. And, you know, the Guides Association and, and me in particular as a commissioner, we, uh, when we argued that we didn't like the slot limit because, you know, what was eventually going to happen is, is one good year class, the 2015s, which was really our last good, seriously abundant year class, that that was going to fall into the slot. And, and we were going to be knocking the crap out of them at one year class that we're really trying to protect. Right. And that's the Sorry. year class I hear about a lot. And those are the fish. Now they're not, in, are they in the slot limit now or that was last year? Or? No, they are. They, they're in the slot limit now. Um, can't remember the percentages, but uh, pretty much all of them are going to be in the slot limit this year or next year. I think half of them are in the slot limit this year. 
um, next year. And it's, you know, it's some of them grow at different rates, just like human beings. You know, some are big, some are small, some are average. So, you know, you, you can't tell when all of them are going to enter into that slot range, but certain percentage of uh, percentages of them do. So we, we did this problem and it worked really well. It was implemented in 2020. And, and as a result, you know, it was, it was hard or significantly harder to find a keeper. Um, you know, in the, the refrain over the radio was people complaining that, you know, the fish were either too small or too big and it was hard to find keepers. And that really worked well to reduce fishing mortality. And we were well on, on our way to rebuilding at that point. And then last year, there was an extraordinary increase in fishing mortality because all these fish just got into the slot limit all of a sudden. And you have, you know, tons of, I mean, to be honest with you, the best fishing that I've had in probably since 2012, uh, you know, was last year where we just, we just had all these 30 inch fish just blitzing like crazy over the fall. I mean, it was extraordinary. And, and I hadn't seen that, you know, since before super sandy. Um, so that really increased uh, fishing mortality and we're now overfishing again. Um, and, and as a result at the last commission meeting, and I should be clear that I'm, I'm no longer on the commission because my, uh, the legislator that I represented, uh, retired and did run for re-election. And currently New York doesn't have a legislative commissioner, but that's a, that's a different story. Um, but at the last meeting, the commission kind of put in this emergency regulation because we were really, there was no way where we we're going to meet, uh, the, the rebuilding target by 2029, which was the goal. Uh, without some some real uh, real constraining measures, but you know, go, going back to the original point, the reason we're overfishing is because there's a lot of fish around. I mean, that's that sounds a good thing, and I, I do think it's it's a good thing, but it's also going to create a situation where there's too many people targeting this this one year class. Right, and I know what happens is people say, you know, you're telling me not to keep these fish, but I look and I see fish everywhere, and they get annoyed or cranky because they're not looking a little bit under the face value there. Yeah. I mean, the truth is when you have these organizations kind of uh, saying, save the striped bass and, you know, the striped bass are in trouble. It's like most folks who spend real time on the water and, and myself included to some extent, listen to that and kind of roll their eyes because the truth is that the stock is rebuilding, but we're also, Mm-hmm. putting too much pressure on this one year class. But and, this year class has, is very important. And if we don't protect it, very we're going to be in it is. rough shape. And, and you know, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's really kind of the, I, I don't want to say it's the last hope for the stock, but it's, it's important in the context. We, we, we really need to, to keep this, the, the 2015s around if we want to have, good recruitment later on. Um, but, you know, with that said, you, you've also got the Hudson River and the Delaware stock, which seem to be doing very much so better than the Chesapeake. And why that is, I I can't say for sure, and I don't think we have any science to say for sure, but it certainly does seem climate-related, you know, whether it's climate change or some sort of multi-decadal oscillation, there's Without a doubt, the Chesapeake is not producing the number of fish that it used to, whereas the the, uh, the Hudson and the Delaware and everything north of that, which, you know, uh, 
they're not near the scale of the Chesapeake. They are, they do seem to be producing fairly well. That's interesting. That's, I was going to say, you know, so you're in Long Island and fish, you know, all that New York uh, by area. And, you know, Jersey had a really good run, too. Do you think it's a lot of those fish you're talking about coming out of Delaware Bay or the Hudson River area? I, do. I really do. And, you know, you can't tell me those Raritan Bay fish or the Jamaica Bay fish aren't of the Hudson stock because they show up right around the time they're heading up to the river to spawn. And then they come back down right around. I mean, it, it just makes sense to me, and I don't think there's any signs to indicate that this is the case. But it just makes sense to me that those are those are Hudson River or Delaware stock. Wow, that's... and it's very clear that New York bite had a better fishery than almost the entire East Coast. People are calling Raritan Bay the new Montauk right now. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but but Walt said, you know, and and I I I do this guide's guide every year where I, you know write too many words that nobody reads, but I, I interview all the guides from all the way down to Virginia, but, and, and just about everybody I talked to, I think with the exception of two people said there's been a definitive increase in availability and abundance. And not only that, I mean, the slot limit, and, and I was not a fan of it in the beginning, but, you know, I've seen more forties, fifties, even a few sixties in the last two, three years. than I've seen in my entire life and almost all of them have, have scars in their jaw. Uh, which indicates that they've been caught at least once. Hmm. So I think a lot of these big fish that we never really had, I mean, in years past, like to get a, a 50, you had to go out to Block Island and spend a week not sleeping and throwing eels. Yeah. You know, now you could go out in your sea ray at 10 p.m. or 10 a.m. and, and cast a uh, weighted treble hook into a bunker school and get a 50. You know, it's, <laughs> well, let's not, let's not encourage that. <laughs> No, no, of course not. And that's illegal, we should point out. You're not allowed no, to. but I get what you're saying. It's it's definitely changing. And I, to me, that's exciting. And I've never caught a 50-pound striper. You know, that's that's super yeah, cool. And, and we're getting them on, like, fly gear, too. It's not like you have to drift deals at night anymore. Um, and, and you know, that's that's a, a function of, of bait concentrations as well. But, but it's also, like, those big fish are not ending up in somebody's cooler up in Rhode Island. You know, they're sure. down here and we're getting access to them. Now the catch 22 with all this is that when you have these constraining measures, discard mortality goes through the freaking roof. Yeah. Um, now, believe it or not, uh, according to the best available science, 50% of all striped bass mortality comes from catch and release. And that's kind of hard to believe if you're an angler and you're out there every day and you're like, well, no way that 50% of the fish I'm releasing are dying, but that's not how the numbers work. It's actually a 9% discard mortality rate, meaning, you know, one in 10 or one in 11 die when you release them. Uh, when you extrapolate that again across all the recreational anglers and, and all the effort that's occurring, then it ends up being an extraordinarily high number. Yeah. And so how do we combat that? Well, so you can't really, and, and they implemented a circle hook requirement. So if you're using bait, you can't use a treble hook or even a J hook. And this was, this was several years ago. You have to use a circle hook, but there's no way to quantify what the savings are with that. There's no real science to show that that's having any effect. So we're stuck with this 9% uh, mortality number. And, and I don't really think, you know, just given, you know, this anecdotal but given my time on the water I, it, 
it's pretty accurate that one in 10 or one in 11 die. You know, they get gut hooked. Even if you're fly fishing, you know, mid strip, one eats that fly and it gets caught in the gill. They, it, it, you know, nobody is innocent here. Um, sure. Even the most conservative minded sport fisherman is, is part of the, the overall overfishing issue here. And it's, it's nice to sit back and point the finger at the other guy, but it's really, it's all of us. And, and that worries me that this discard thing worries me greatly because I think with this new slot limit, it's going to be so hard for folks to catch. One of two things is going to happen. The meat guy who just, you know, want to take home a fish or have their clients take home a fish are either going to, you know, switch to something else, maybe fluke a black sea bass because it's too hard to hit these guys a keeper, or they're just going to knock the crap out of, out of striped bass until they find a keeper, in which case discards are going to get higher. And we're going to be looking at something like 75%. Which would kind of defeat uh, the whole purpose. Yes, but not only that, there's a lot of talk at the commission, and there has been for the last two or three years, about implementing no target closures, meaning you can't even target them. Um, and, and that's, that's kind of silly because there's, there's no way to ensure compliance. Uh, but if you're a guide, guy am you know you, you kind of have to be compliant because you can't market striped bass trips you can't you can't put a picture on social media of you know somebody releasing a striped bass or holding a striped bass uh and it, it's just the only people it's going to affect are, are the professionals are the guys any anybody else is going to go out there and say they're targeting bluefish so it's not going to do any good, but it's certainly going to punish guides. And, and the commissioners know and understand this, but they have to do something to address discards because the perception right now is that, you know, we're asking the meat guys to, to make sacrifices here. And that's a very, you know, unique and particular stakeholder. We're saying you, you take the burden of these regulations, but the catch and relief guys, the light tackle guys, you know, you're responsible for 50 percent of the mortality. We're not asking you to do anything. And, and that looks unfair. And frankly, it is unfair. Um, so I think, you know, it's, it's a very real possibility that that's going to happen uh, if we can't rebuild under these new regulations. Wow. And so I'm just thinking about when you catch a fish and everybody grabs a striped bass by the lip, you know, kind of yanks it up that way and. <laughs> Maybe if you're lucky, holds it by the belly, um, gets a couple pictures, maybe drops it on the deck. Like, are, are these the kinds of things that we need to just be way more careful of? Should we try to keep the fish in the water? Um, would you ever tell your clients we're just catch and release today? Like, how, what are some different, you know, just personal measures we could do on our own boats to, to try to avoid some of this stuff? Well, so... You know, there, there's been all sorts of statewide educational campaigns about how to release fish. But the truth is, the people who are irresponsible and, and don't give a shit about how they release fish are, are not going to listen to any sort of education campaign. And they're, they're going to want their Instagram fame, whether that's a bloody fish that's going to die or or what it's it's and the, the guys who are responsible that have been doing this for a long time they're they're going to try to make sure that i mean it's intuitive you, you're not going to keep that fish you want it to survive so i don't i don't think that and you know there, there's all sorts of, of talk about implementing new uh measures that would ensure greater survivability like you know uh, maybe even uh you know not taking fish out of the water 
and all things that and, and using trouble banning trouble hooks at all making sure barbs are crimped there's all sorts of things you could do but in the end you're still not going to lower that nine percent number it's unless there's some new science showing it's lower but um i think umass or, or one of the massachusetts colleges just they, uh, or they're still, it hasn't been peer reviewed yet, so it hasn't been released, but they just did a pretty extensive study on, uh, you know, discards and, and, you know, what we could do to reduce that 9% number. And they basically said that, you know, 9% is pretty accurate no matter what you do. And they actually went far as to indicate that the circle hooks did very little, if anything. Um, so, uh, you know, I, and, and let me, let me even another caveat here because, I think it's relevant. Nobody's talking about it. Is that we're being asked to, when they say rebuild, we're being asked to re- reach the spawning stock biomass target, which I think to some extent is artificially high because, you know, and, and it's actually the result of, of uh, the survey recalibration. And, you know, the survey has always been notoriously inaccurate. So it was sent back to the scientists to, to recalibrate it and, and give us suggestions on how we can make it more accurate. Uh, and, and in the end, when they did that recalibration, it was determined that recreational fishing effort was a lot higher than we thought. So therefore the spawning stock biomass must be a lot higher than we thought. And so that number that we're trying to reach got raised a lot higher than it had originally been. Hmm. So when you look at the, the timeline, the 50 year time series that, that the scientists, you know, have been collecting data on this species, We've only hit that target in four years, in 2000 to 2004, and that was back when the Chesapeake was pumping out, you know, a lot of a lot of fish, and it's not anymore. So, you know, whether or not we need to relook at that reference point, you know, and have have new peer-reviewed science suggesting something that might be more realistic, is certainly something that I'm not discounting. And if you would if you would ask me that three or four years ago, I said I would have said no way. You know, you're you're lowering the goalposts. We can't do that. If the sign could rebuild the stock to that level, we got to rebuild it. But now, I, I now that we're kind of getting closer to the deadline, and and you know, we're not rebuilding because of these these fish that are enter, entering into the exploitable range. I'm and, and I'm looking at possible no target closures. I, I've changed my mind a little bit about that. Interesting, interesting. And so, just so I understand correctly, this new slot limit is. Basically, all the states that are part of the ASMFC, so it's not because I used to. I grew up in Connecticut, and there were some areas like around Fisher's Island where it was so confusing because you got New York waters, Connecticut waters, Rhode Island waters, and everybody was telling you something different. So, is this slot now like across the board? It's mandatory across the board, except for the Chesapeake Bay. That's, I think that's encouraging right there. It takes away a lot of this confusion, no? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and I think uh, I, I think compliance, it, there's going to be a lot less compliance now, too. You, you look at some of these forums, and they're like, F this, you know, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to follow this. But no, I, I think mo- while most people will be compliant, there's going to be a level of compliance that we haven't seen before, noncompliance that we haven't seen before. Yeah, I would imagine the people who fish on your boat are not like that at all. I mean, I don't encourage, I, I never really encounter guys like that. I guess they are on Facebook and whatever, but yeah. it seems I to mean, me most people is, really care. Right. Uh, the truth is, you know, I, I kill fish, I keep fish, 
but it's not, most of my clients don't, don't want to keep them. Um, but you know, people fish with me and they fish with light tackle guys for a different reason than they fish with like Joey six pack, you know, those want to take home a fish and, and I get that and that's okay. Um, I just, you know, I, I honestly hope that this doesn't put too many of those guys out of business, but it, it's, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt them. And, and it's, it's it, the way they look at it is, I mean, Jesus Christ, there's a lot of fish around. Why are they doing this? Yeah. And F this, I'm not going to comply. And I, I totally get that. And, and I, uh, you know, I, I don't question the need for this and I think it, it needed to be done. But I do really think that we need to take a, a real look at those reference points as soon as we can, because it, 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 we may not be able to reach that uh, that target even even with a moratorium, um, you know. And and Charlie and some of these these other uh, very pro conservation folks argue that well the science says we could do it we got to try to do it and, and I agree with that. But at some point, if we can figure out that we just can't do it without cutting everybody out of the fishery, then, then we really do, you know, need to kind of put our, our philosophy and, and everything else aside and just kind of focus on what's practical rather than what's unrealistic. Yeah. And then, you know, I wish there was better science. That's always the struggle. And you being on the commission yeah. for all those years, know it better than anybody, but it's like, you can do all yeah. these things and it's not like you're counting deer in the woods. It's just, it, well, it's so hard. The yeah, the estimates, they're, they're just that. They're estimates. But, you know, it's its the best available stuff we got. Sure. And, you know, these people say, well, fishing's really great where I am. And, and I even said it earlier. Fishing's really great where I am. need these reductions. but and, and the science is crap. But what are we supposed to do? Listen to the one guy who fishes one area that says yeah. rather than, than follow the best available science, you really, you just can't do that. And, and you shouldn't be allowed to do that. Sure, sure. And that's a, an interesting part of, of the fishing industry in general. Like you're worried about getting through the year. You're worried about paying the bank note on your, you know, half a million dollar boat. Uh, you're not looking at what, what's going to happen 10 years down the road. I think this is an encouraging move, you know, I, as an outsider, really, you know, I grew up in that area and I, I love to catch striped bass and I'm actually heading up north in a, in a week or two to do it again. Um, but it feels like this is something that needed to be done and, and hopefully the fruits of this change will, will help move the needle. Yeah. And one more thing. I mean, a, a lot of people think that, okay, we have to reach this target and we have to stay at this target. Well, that's not true. Uh, the, the target is just that. It's a target. And then underneath there, you have a, a threshold. So really what you want is that fishery between the target and the threshold. And I'm talking about the spawning stock biomass reference points. Um, so while it might be really hard to get to that target and, and maybe impossible, that hasn't been determined yet, uh, once once we do get there, then, you know, we could kind of relax a little bit and, and let the fishery fluctuate between the, the target and the threshold. And the, the target is significantly lower than the threshold. Does that make any sense or is that too wonky and scientific? It makes some sense to me because I've been writing about these things for a long time and I've, I've been to a bunch of council meetings. But to try to make it make sense for just someone who wants to go fishing this weekend, it can be tough. 
Um, yeah. So I think basically we're saying it's like we have to make sure the biomass, the the, the breeders are there, and if they're not, yeah. we're going to be in trouble. Yeah. Right. But well, yeah. I, I, yeah. And you sorry, know, I'm I, I'm trying to avoid going down another rabbit hole. <laughs> it's easy to do, and. You know, I, I know you're very passionate about this stuff. It's it's your livelihood. It's you you love the ocean. You love every you know all these different fisheries. So it's got to be, you know, kind of emotional for you at times when these things go down. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, in the end, it's like, you know, I I I love this fishery and I I love what I do, but and I love it because I I torture and release animals and I kill animals. It's, it's not because I have like this, I put this intrinsic value on them. It's because I'd love to fish, you know, and it, it, once you start cutting people like me out of the equation, like if, if they were to put me out of business through a no target closure, then yet, you know, it ends up, you know, not, nobody gives a shit about it or, or the PETA folks take over. So you know, I, I, I'm real worried about these no target closures and, and maybe it's, it's, there's some paranoia there, but it, it does seem like the next logical move for the commission to do, because, you know, if you can't address it through size and bag limits, you, you have to address effort and, and there's no other way to do that. Yeah. I grew up in the moratorium years, you know, and it was I'm curious, like the blue fishing obviously was really good in the early eighties because there was no striped bass around. Are it, what is the blue fishing like right now compared to prior years? Uh, interesting. You know, bluefish have definitely tanked quite a bit in the last six, seven years. Um, they are coming back, but we had a few years where, you know, they don't, they w- didn't really show at all. And, and it's interesting that the, the sheepshead bay and, and uh, cap tree and, um, all the party boat fleets used to have a, a night fishery for bluefish. You know, they'd go out there and fill up trash cans at night at the mud hole and, yep. you know, offshore bed, and they just chunk all night and, and knock the crap out of them. That, those fisheries disappeared. They don't run those trips anymore. Hmm. Um, and bluefish, you know, again, we're going down another rabbit hole, but bluefish have been notoriously cyclical. And there have been years where they're, they're all over the place and then, you know, 10 years of, of nothing you know, we're, we're very, very low abundance levels. So, uh, yeah, I, don't, I mean, I think bluefish kind of come and go. Um, certainly they're affected by fishing, but I don't think there's any real, like, overfishing occurring because, you know, it's not really a food fish. Nobody eats them. Or, yeah, or, I, I, shouldn't say. I think their range has changed, too, because we see way more of them in Florida than we ever used to. We used to get a couple here and there, and now we get a really good run. Uh, that's That's interesting. I didn't know that. Um, well, John, I appreciate you taking the time and to anyone who wants to learn more, you should always, uh, if you see one of John's articles about these different topics, conservation stuff, take a read. He knows what he's talking about. Um, I'm also really excited. We're going to be publishing a story. Uh, one of our writers spent a day with you out in the canyons and, uh, got a cool story that I actually am working on right now. So that'll be in our summer issue. Excited about that. Awesome. Yeah. Um, Appreciate everything you do, buddy. Uh, Thanks for taking the time. Sure, man. Anytime. Thank you.